This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the deal. It go down. It go down in the deal. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. to horror queers we're talking hemorrhoids are a surprise we're talking yule lads and we're talking queer icon krampus because yes i see you with your bells your penchant for licking and your sense of drama girl and i'm joe <laughs> and i'm trace and i didn't come up with a funny one so we're talking der clown which i think is just a really funny name for that jack-in-the-box that thing is fucking scary. I was originally going to include it as one of my top three things because that thing is poltergeist level freaky. This is actually so sorry, y'all. We're talking Michael Doherty's Krampus, which makes two Michael Doherty films in the span of two months, really. This is true. But we thought it'd be a really fun way to kick off 
December slash holiday season or Christmas season or whatever whatever y'all celebrate if y'all do anything in December. I don't know. Take it over, Joe. This is true. Ironically enough, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about holiday films throughout most of the month. And if everything all works out, our next couple of guests after this episode will both be Jewish. So that's a fun little (laughs) wrinkle in the plan. (laughs) Well, I don't know what our guest on this episode's religious affiliation is, so we'll have to ask him when he comes on. All right, everyone. Well, he is the host of the YouTube channel Bobby Likes It's Spooky, which covers pretty much all things horror, from television shows to films old and new, from trailer reactions to the hottest horror news. Please welcome Bobby Torres. Hey guys! Yay. Uh, wow, that was um great, Trace. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I gotta say, the way your name rolls off the tongue kind of makes it sound a little salacious. Like Bobby looks at spooky. Um, I I was actually coming when I was writing this down. I was I I almost wrote I did I'm sorry I did write booby likes it spooky and so <laughs> no, That's does not the same ring. <laughs> it rhymes with spooky. This is. Well, I mean, ish, ish, ish. Um, okay, we'll work on this, yeah. <laughs> How are you doing, Bobby? <laughs> I'm great, guys. I'm just happy to be here. Um, thanks for inviting me. Of course. Especially to talk about Krampus. <laughs> well, so yeah. I was going to ask. So so did did Joe force Krampus upon you, um, or, or did you choose it willingly? I chose it willingly, okay? Because <laughs> once he said that he was going to send, like, the list and stuff, I said, okay, cool. And... In my head, I said, I'm hoping it's a holiday horror movie in there because if it is, <laughs> the first holiday horror movie that's on there, I'm just going to grab it. Oh, uh, <laughs> and if you guys know what I got that from, then yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was happy that I seen Krampus on there and I said I had to go for it. So do you have a connection to Krampus or do you just like the movie a lot? I do not, but um, I'm a fan of Michael Doherty. Um, I love Trick or Treat and I just have a thing for like just holiday movies in general but holiday horror movies is just mm. it's my jam and i love them so when i seen that i said yes yeah i think nice. we'll have a lot to talk about too like how on like how much on the horror spectrum this falls because i think a lot of people were expecting this to be a little bit darker than it is yeah but you know then i see a lot of people comparing it to things like joe dante to something like gremlins which granted i would argue that gremlins is a darker movie than this but I do kind of see this in the same wheelhouse where it's like, yeah, we're not like just straight up murdering people. Well, actually, they do in Gremlins. But <laughs> <laughs> but it has like a little bit of a dark edge that does feel, to me personally, a little bit dulled. But I do still like this movie a lot. Yeah, I don't mind it. I mean, <laughs> it's a conditional kind of yes, where if given the choice between the two, I'm going to pick Trick or Treat every time. I like Krampus, but I do feel like its impact is a little bit dull because it is trying to go after that family-friendly-esque market. Um, yeah. I mean, well, in this, this, I don't know if you saw this, Joe, but this might make it, um, make you understand it. Not like it more, but understand. So, apparently Christmas horror films are a really hard sell in the American film market. I mean, honestly, look at last year's Black Christmas. <laughs> right. Um, or don't. But Krampus was also a hard sell. Legendary Pictures, who produced it, and as we discussed in the Trick or Treat episode, that is um, something that Brian Singer um, has a hand in. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, it was only when they agreed to a PG-13 rating that Universal Pictures agreed to distribute it. 
Yeah. It's not surprising. I mean, Bobby, you mentioned that you're a big fan of holiday horror, and I do feel like we're starting to see some of those reins get loosened a little bit, and we're seeing more diversity in terms of like, okay, we can have a zombie Christmas musical now. We can have (laughs) this family-friendly option. Like, we are seeing more of them, but, I mean, let's face it, a lot of people still look at the holidays as a bad time to open a horror movie. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a little bit more like diversity is happening when it comes down to that. But I never looked at it that way as far as maybe because I just always been a horror fan, you know, so I never really just like, oh, well, the holidays and Christmas time and all that is just for happiness and, you know, time with family. Because sometimes (laughs) there's a lot of horror in it. Oh, my God. There's so much horror in the family, right? (laughs) Yeah. And that includes Thanksgiving. And also, as you see in this movie in the beginning, there's um, a lot going on. So, um, yeah, I honestly want to see more. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to see it, like, lift up a little bit and starting to see a little bit more movies uh, come out, I guess. But I want to see more. Like, I wanted to see Michael Doherty produce a lot more holiday horror. Mm, yes, keep that in mind. I've got something for later with that. I agree. I do think that this film, uh, Joe, I'm kind of on your side here, too. You know, I, I do like the film more than you do, but... But the first act of this film, what Doherty tried to do was, like, I wanted to make, like, a quote-unquote normal Christmas, like, family movie before the horror comes in. So he filmed it just like that. And so it reminded me of films like, um, if y'all have ever seen Jodie Foster's directorial effort, Home for the Holidays, with um, Holly Hunter. Oh, also has queer content, because Robert Downey Jr. is the gay brother. Or Mm -hmm. um, even The Family Stone. Okay. It reminded me a lot of that, um, but just without the queer content. (laughs) I was actually getting, like, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Like, this is very Christmas with the Griswolds, Um... only instead of a squirrel in the tree, it's killer (laughs) gingerbread men. (laughs) And teddy bears. Yes. (laughs) And your clown. Oh, God. That fucking clown. (laughs) I think it's terrifying. I have thoughts about that clown. (laughs) Okay, so I, I don't know if maybe if this is too personal. Y'all can, like, tell me to fuck off. My family holiday gatherings aren't really like the ones present here. Like, it's basically, like, my immediate family, my mom, my dad, my sister, and I, and, like, a set of grandparents. Although now it's, like, one grandparent because everyone else is dead. <laughs> and we've gone dark. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, they are dead. It's a fact, and I love them, but they're dead. Oh, no. <laughs> Have y'all had any, like in your history of family holiday gatherings, be it Thanksgiving or Christmas, had something that's just been like a kind of a blow up moment. And I'm going to even wrap it around to maybe involving you or your queerness. Mm. I know I didn't prepare y'all for this. I, I just, I thought about it honestly before we got on the air. <laughs> no, it's fine. I haven't. I mean, I had a lot of times when like my family would argue over like stupid stuff or just like past stuff, you know, my immediate family, but not necessarily over like my queerness or anything. Um, because I never necessarily came out to my family. Um, they just kind of knew and it just happened. So Mm -hmm. Uh, that's nice. Yeah. And one time I just showed up with a boyfriend, they were very, you know, accepting and I was, you know, happy to have that (laughs) acceptance of my boyfriend. Yeah, I never really had any issues with, uh, like, my family as far as that aspect, but they just will argue over little petty stuff that happened throughout the past year and just dumb, unnecessary stuff where I just want to check out and just go back to my home and just, like, y'all handle that. I'm over it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this movie kind of just 
when I watched it, because I've seen this movie probably um, in 2016 when it was restoring uh, Blu-ray mm-hmm. or DVD. I've never seen it in theaters. But it did. Re- some aspects did remind me of my family as far as the beginning of the movie where you get the whole Black Friday situation. <laughs> and it was times when I actually was, you know... In crowds like that with my grandmother or my mom and seeing all the craziness and chaos happen all around me. So, um, yeah, I can relate to it as far as that aspect. (laughs) Holidays really bring it out in people, right? I mean, I think you touched on it, Bobby, when you said, well, there's certainly a lot of great things about the holidays. But also when you bring families together, you're going to have friction and tension and it's not a happy thing all the time and what i like about holiday horror in particular is that it acknowledges that sometimes getting together with your family can be a really challenging thing and that's even just set aside the fact that some people don't have families some people don't have families that accept them i can say personally the holidays have been a a bit of a source of tension for me like i went home for the holidays to come out to my family So I had to have my escape plan ready to go in case it didn't work out. And I was like, well, this could be the worst fucking Christmas ever. And it ended up being okay, kind of like what you described, Bobby. My parents were actually pretty cool about it. But then similarly, when I went to meet my now husband's family for the very first time, it was also over the holidays. And he didn't tell me until we were en route that he had never come out to them. (gasps) Oh my god, wait. Oh my god. So I was the coming out. (laughs) I show up at the door and it was like, this isn't a friend. So wait, that Clea Duvall movie that's coming out with Mackenzie Davis and Kristen Stewart, that like, is your story. Basically. (laughs) That lesbian story is my story. (laughs) I love it. Wait, how was that? How did that go? I mean, my biggest source of tension around the holidays isn't the kinds of spectacular fighting that you often see in these films. It's the weird differences that happen when you mix families together. So I very much relate to the kind of extended family friction that occurs in Krampus because my husband's family is completely different from mine. Mine is loud, boisterous, we fight, we wear our feelings on our sleeves, and my husband's family is very quiet, and they will keep everything under wraps, and, like, they don't talk. So half the time, I'm just chattering and yapping away, and they're all like, can someone shut this bitch up? We haven't heard this (laughs) much dialogue in a year. That's really fascinating, because my family's kind of a mix of your two families. Like, we are loud, boisterous. Like, if you think I'm loud, like, you really need to meet my parents. But... (laughs) Invite us for a Thurman family holiday. (laughs) But we don't talk about things. Like, we will gossip endlessly about our relatives, but we don't talk about ourselves. And so... So it's the surface level shit. Yes. Right. I think I mentioned this before, but, like, my aunts and uncles, so my my parents' siblings, they're all, like... For the most part, fuck-ups. And so my sister and I were raised with the mentality of, like, don't be like them. Be good. Be successful. Blah, 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 blah. Right. And so we always gossiped about our families, but we never, ever, ever faced our own demons, like, with each other. Hmm. And so my thing was, and I think I mentioned this also maybe on the show before, but maybe, like, a long time ago or in a speed dating episode. When I came out, you know, it was not the best experience. I came out when I was 16. I went to college. And, like, finally my parents just, like, accepted it. But I still held on to a lot of, like, resentment for them. And so when I was 25-ish, I went home for Thanksgiving once, and I was alone. And what happens with my family is when we start to drink more, that's obviously when the things come out. Oh, of course, yeah. That liquid courage. Yeah. And so <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I took my parents to task to be like, 
Oh, y'all right. said yes. and did all these things to me and this is again like at thanksgiving <laughs> perfect timing right <laughs> all these things to me and of course they're like oh i don't remember saying any of those things i was like well i, I can promise you that 16 year old me they're ingrained in my brain and you said them so blah 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 <laughs> so yeah. it didn't make for the best holiday dinner but and again and this was just me and my parents and my sister at this point but it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, well, that was the holiday that I got to, like, get everything out of my system and, like, the seven years of resentment that I held against my parents for, like, not reacting the best when I came out. Like, I got to finally Oof. tell them, which may not have been totally fair on my part, but... Uh, but families rarely are, right? That's the problem. Like, we're related by blood and we end up having to stick with each other, but that doesn't always mean that we get along or even have each other's mm-hmm. best interests at heart. Family is fucked up a lot of the time. Yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to going home for the holidays this year because um, my parents 100% both voted for Trump, and that's going to be a real oh, fun... <laughs> that's going to be a real fun thing. <laughs> I've been like, Oof. you know, COVID gotten worse. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to stay yeah. home. We can yeah. FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, I can do 20 minutes on the screen with you, and then I gotta go. Yes. You know, when I was growing up, my mom was like, I don't talk about politics. I don't say who I voted for. I don't do any of that. And I used to, like, make fun of her for it. But now I'm kind of like, oh, I get why. I totally get why. So I'm right. going in the mentality of, like, we're just not going to talk about politics when we go there. Oof. Good luck with that. Unless alcohol <laughs> becomes involved, yeah. I would like to hear, like, after, you know, after the holidays, if that actually, you know, happened. <laughs> Right, yes. Follow Report up. back in January. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, but okay, yeah, so I, I'm sorry. So I, I just thought it'd be fun to have a little personal story for everyone. And listeners, by all means, also, if you have some fun holiday stories, um, send them to us because um, I'm quite curious myself. <laughs> right, and we'll put the fun in quotation marks. If you've got something serious that you want to share with us, of course, you're always welcome to do that as well. Yeah, for sure. The holidays are not an easy time for a lot of people. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, especially if you're queer for some people, uh, yep. especially if you live in the South, too, or the Midwest, or anywhere in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it can just be tough. Yeah. So moving back over to Krampus, obviously Trick or Treat was a big, well, I'm not, it wasn't a big hit. And if I was going to say, was it? <laughs> if y'all don't know why, you can go listen to our Trick or Treat episode, which again, came out like two months ago. But Doherty Girl, had always not wanted... Even. <laughs> like five weeks ago i mean but it was october we're in december now sharp okay yeah we'll <laughs> go with that okay trick-or-treat it was a big success in my heart okay I there love we go so much. <laughs> it's a good movie and it's very beloved by obviously the horror community and bobby i actually even saw your halloween episode on your youtube channel like you devoted it to trick-or-treat yeah. oh yeah yeah, because I wanted to do it last year, but last year I just felt like I just wasn't in the right headspace to go ahead and do it. But I was feeling super good, and I just got done watching the movie, and I said, you know what? Let me just hop on the camera and just dedicate um, and do a video to Trick or Treat, because I love that movie so much. Yeah, you can really tell, too. Like, there's a lot of affection that comes through in that episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. Another reason why I picked Krampus. <laughs> well, there, we there you go. And I'm I'm interested to see. I mean, I, we won't do a ton of comparisons because honestly, there's not much to compare. Like, but yeah. well, we'll see. But basically, yeah, Doherty had always wanted to do a scary Christmas movie, but the idea didn't take form until his friend sent him an e-card featuring the Krampus creature. Yes. Which he fell in love with. And I actually find this kind of funny because this movie comes out in 2015, right? And I seem to recall like 
around like 2012 13 14 like a lot of Krampus stuff making its way into mainstream media like there was a suburgatory episode that was all about Krampus whenever Mala Ackerman guest starred as um, Jane Levy's mom mm-hmm. there was an American Dad episode devoted to Krampus like I just remember seeing a bunch of Krampus stuff and I'd never heard of this creature before Oh, interesting. Okay. Maybe in case people don't know, here's a quick little crash course on Krampus. I mean, if you've seen the film, you'll get a relatively decent idea of who or what he is. But uh, for those of you not in the know, he is a half goat, half demon who during the Christmas season punishes children who have misbehaved. So he's basically the dark version of Santa Claus. And some people even see him as one of St. Nicholas or St. Nicklaus because he is of a Germanic slash European background. Some people see Krampus as almost like a, not a disciple, but a companion of St. Nicholas. Like if you're good, you get St. Nicholas. And if you're bad, you get Krampus. But he's not necessarily evil. His job is just to dole out punishment to bad shits. So Mm. very popular in countries like Austria, Bavaria, Croatia, Hungary, and Northern Italy. And he dates back to about the 17th century. And uh, apparently, like a lot of folklore, used to be a lot more graphic and upsetting, (laughs) used to keep the children in line. And that has kind of been watered down. Wait, do do you have like an example of what a graphic form of punishment was compared to what maybe it's considered now? (laughs) (laughs) So Krampus has like a very distinctive look, as people know, you know, because he's half goat, half demon. He's got the hooves and he's got horns. He's got this long tongue. He sometimes has fangs. He's got chains. Uh, There's ties to Christianity there. But I think one of the big things that people latched onto were the chains and the bells. And then he sometimes has this bag. And people would say the bad stories particularly were that if you were especially naughty that year, (laughs) he would put children into the bag for either drowning them or eating them or taking them back to hell. Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> the drowning one is the one that's deeply upsetting to me because I oh. think of people who put animals into bags and put them in rivers. Sorry for people who were triggered by that. But it's like uh, drowning in a bag seems particularly upsetting. I guess that's true. But I, for me, the eating is what's, I mean, I all of it's upsetting. But for me, yeah, like Krampus eating a child. The idea, especially if you're like swallowed whole, like if he just swallows mm-hmm. you whole and you're just like sitting in his stomach, just slowly being digested. Ooh. Yeah, which we more or less see in this movie in a couple of different iterations, right? Mm-hmm. That's what Der Clown clearly does to at least a couple of these children. <laughs> <laughs> and just for a bit of context, the film version of Krampus does include a bit of Icelandic lore. So the dark elves, as they're sometimes referred to, can also be known as Yule lads, which is why I referenced them off the top. And they're part of a completely separate tradition that has like a mother and father figure who live in the hills above Icelandic towns. And then they've got these 13 kids who are, frankly, they sound like a bunch of troublemaking little shits who sneak down one per night for the 13 days before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And they'll basically fuck around in your house if you haven't been good. So if you've been good, you can leave your shoe out and they will leave you a present. If you've been bad, they will leave you a potato. But also, if they find, like, open windows and stuff, they'll go in and they will steal your food, they will steal your cooking supplies, they'll steal your candles, and they all have very amusing names like Sheep Coat Clawed, and Gully Gawk, and Stubby, and Spoon Licker. The one that's important to us is... Yes, very comical. Uh, The one that's relevant to us is actually Meat Hook, because... Wow. When we see the meat hook come down the chimney with the gingerbread man attached to it, that is a representation of meat hook. 
because he will steal your meat if you leave it out. Mm. See, I, wow. I, I, I have things to say about that scene, too. Yeah. Okay, well, that's awesome. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> that's your crash course. Oh, and actually, the timing of this particular episode is very good because the official day for Krampus's visit is December 5th. Well, so that's actually why. The film was supposed to come out, like, November 25th, so, like, around Thanksgiving, but they pushed it back to December 4th to tie in with that. Like anyone fucking knows that. I love that they rearranged the release date for a date that no one knows. The thing is, I actually <laughs> think that the film might have performed better had they released it for Thanksgiving. Because a lot of times you see Christmas movies. I mean, I could say holiday, but really it's Christmas movies. Released yeah. that Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Won't be happening this year, unfortunately. But, <laughs> no. but yeah, I think that, that honestly hurt it. So basically, Krampus is, you know, they film it in from March to May 2015. Uh, the, the creature effects are done with, I'm going to say Weta. It might be Weta Workshop, but it's the Peter Jackson one that he uses for, like, Lord of the Rings and a bunch of other shit. It is Weta. Okay, Weta. But they release oh, it no December shit. F- it is Weta. Okay. The Weta Workshop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Universal Pictures releases this on December 4th, 2015. We've got a budget of $15 million. Now, it's pretty cheap. But uh, And we've got a runtime of 98 minutes. So it's a nice breezy little movie. It -hmm. opens in the number two slot. And here's maybe the sticking point. It opens up behind Mockingjay Part 2, which is in its, I want to say, like, second or third weekend of the box office. Okay. It makes $16.3 million. So it does make its production budget back immediately, which is good. Mm-hmm. It goes on to make $42.7 million domestically with uh, international gross of $18.8 million. So we got a worldwide gross of $61.5 million. So it it does well. It's totally not bad. I, th- I remember thinking that it did far worse than that. Yeah, I think it's just like it was solid if unremarkable. Right. But I mean, what are we expecting from a holiday horror film? Like $100 million gross is out of the question. True. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I I never understand what the pundits or like the studio heads are looking for. I mean, I appreciate that that's not box office shattering world records. But at the same time, I'm also looking at this cast. And to us, this cast is great. But there aren't big names. Like if you're thinking about for the general public, they're not saying like, oh, Adam Scott and Tony Collette got to rush to the theaters to see that one. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Even Alison Tolman, like this is like right after Fargo season one. And so I'm like, oh, my God, Alison Tolman's in a movie. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but like that is not the popular reaction. These are all character actors and or who? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is like Adam Scott at the peak of Parks and Recreation. Tony Collette, what is she doing right now? Like at this time? No, or... no, no, yeah, like at this time. <laughs> uh, obviously, obviously, people know who Tony Collette is, but it's like one of those things where it's like, if you ask like a Joe Nobody, mm-hmm. oh, you know who Tony Collette is? Um, yeah, no. Australian chick? No. Some people still don't even know she's the mom in The Sixth Sense. Oh, I mean, that's like a bit of a... A deep cut? <laughs> yeah. I have a confession. I literally found that out like maybe a few months ago because I haven't seen The Sixth Sense in a very long time. Yeah, and when right. I watched it, I was like, Tony Collette, she was in this! And I just got super excited. And I'm like, how can I forget? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a showy kind of role. Like, it's a great role for her, but it's not the part of the movie that you remember because you're too busy focusing on Haley Joel Osment. I want to say, though, and I could be wrong. I'm not going to look it up because I'm just going to go with it. But I want to say she actually got an Oscar nomination for that role. She did. Specifically for the scene in the car when Haley Joel Osment's telling her about her mother. 
Mm-hmm. And that is a fantastic fucking scene for her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking at her filmography, and this is definitely a low point in her filmography. So she had done Fright Night in 2011. Ooh, yeah. She had done that terrible Hitchcock movie. She was in a short-lived TV show called Hostages, which is also unfortunately not very good. Yeah. And then it's like this, and then after this, that triple x sequel she's in the triple x sequel (laughs) yeah the return of xander cage so the one where uh fucking vin diesel comes back the third one the third one so bad it's so so bad i don't recommend it to anybody unless okay i'm sorry we can cut this out but i will have you know that matt donato has tried to get me to watch that movie a thousand times like people love that movie (laughs) oh it's stupid bad though (laughs) is it um is nina debrev in that she is yeah Ah! she's actually one of the better parts in it (laughs) Wait, Nina Dobrev from yeah. Degrassi? Yes. Wait, she's in Degrassi? Oh yeah, she's Canadian. I didn't know she I, mm-hmm. I'm like Vampire Diaries. That's yeah. what I know her from. That's the go-to for most people. That's Bobby, I love you for that reference. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a Canadian. huge Degrassi fan, so I yeah, we can yeah, we can talk That's about so Degrassi funny. all day. <laughs> ah, so good. When I think of Tony Collette, I think about The Sixth Sense. I think about Muriel's Wedding. But again, that's like mm-hmm. 90s. And I think about her really brief like cameo as a les- as a closeted lesbian in The Hours. Oh, okay. That's oh. a bit of a deep cut, too. Yeah, because oh, I'm looking here. It's basically, you should be thinking, of, according to IMDb, about a boy from 2002. Oh, Little right. Miss Sunshine, 2006. Oh, right. Obviously, Hereditary, Sixth Sense. You know what we're forgetting? The three seasons of United States of Terra. Yes, I was about to yes. say that. Yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. I, that's when I was first really introduced to her. Um, so United States good. of Terra. That's uh, 2009 to 2011. And that's also when the world was introduced to Brie Larson. Mm-hmm. I will tell both of you. Well, Joe, you probably see Muriel's Wedding. But Bobby, you should really seek out Muriel's Wedding. It is a fantastic comedy from Australia. Or maybe New Zealand. I don't really know. Australia. Okay. From like the late 90s. And it's amazing <laughs> it is amazing <laughs> it's her big breakup right but yeah i mean yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. david kochner um conchata feral who's also a character actress she's so fucking funny in this movie <laughs> oh she's great i feel like people i feel like she was targeting the two and a half men crowd even though for me she's always the woman from mr deeds <laughs> oh okay yeah there we go that'll work too mr deeds (laughs) i love mr deeds whenever winona Ryder kicks her in the vagina and she's like what are you doing i ain't got no balls (laughs) okay have you not seen that's a thing i wasn't expecting to hear tonight (laughs) (laughs) mr deeds is really good oh i want to watch that now sorry (laughs) god pay attention Anyway, okay, sorry. So speaking of um, a solid, if unremarkable, um, going back to before this conversation happened, mm-hmm. this movie also has, for reviews, solid, if unremarkable reviews. Yeah. We're looking at a 66% of Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 6.1 out of 10 and a letterbox score of 6 out of 10. So it's kind of one of those things where I feel like people are like, oh yeah, it's good. It's not great. It's good. But I've also talked to people who fucking adore this movie. Yeah, I feel like the people who like this movie quite like it, and then the rest of us think it's fine. I never mind watching this film, but I feel like every time I watch it, I just want it to be a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, it, it's that dark edge you're missing, right? Like, te- I, I honestly, and we'll get to it when we talk about the ending, I do like the fact that people are essentially dying in this movie. Yeah, yeah. all the way through, too. But mm-hmm. then you have the ending that kind of undoes it. And, I, and I'm sure we'll talk about how we all interpret that ending, too, once we get there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. A little controversial. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything else. So, I mean, do you want to just go in? All right. So after the Frozen Universal logo, always love it when they do this. I love adjusted, like, uh, uh, not adjusted, but um, what would we call it? Film specific? Yeah, modified film specific studio logos. <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> Super catchy. There's the tagline for this episode. He apparently wanted to use the 80s Universal logo, but either it didn't happen or they said no. I mean, that is a really important point. Bobby, you and I zeroing in on National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Like, this film does feel like that Joe Dante National mm-hmm. Lampoon's. Like, at that time period, this film could be from that, only with obviously upgraded effects. Yes. Well, I actually wonder, so do y'all think, maybe this is more of a question for Joe. Joe, do you think that you would like this movie more if it did exist in the 80s, if this was an 80s, if this movie as it is. Mm, like a period piece in the 80s? Well, no, 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 no. But like, if this movie like was made in the 80s, and like you were, we're talking about this now as like a 35 year anniversary or whatever movie, hmm. do you think you would like it more if it was something that was a product of the 80s as opposed to a product of 2015? quite possibly yeah i mean i think that this might work a little bit better as a nostalgic property Mm -hmm. i think also then we would get around some of the lack of darkness because of course films could get away with more back then right can i answer that as well yeah yeah okay i was gonna say um, even though i do love this film i feel like if it was a product of the 80s it would like joe said it would get away with a lot more especially with a lot more practical effects because this Mm. movie relies heavy on cgi and all of it is not terrible because they do use a lot of practical effects in this too but i think that's why we love a lot of 80s movies just because it was no cgi it was all practical and it was a lot darker and cheese yes i feel like if it was the 80s i feel like the gingerbread man would have been stop motion (laughs) yeah oh maybe okay yeah I agree with what you're saying, Bobby, and I do think, and I mean, again, I know we're talking about it ahead of time, but I think the reason that I kind of, I mean, again, I, I gave this a three and a half out of five. I, I really like it, but it's like, it doesn't quite hit greatness for me because we get these tastes, these amazing practical effects. Like, we get this Dirk Clown, and I'm like, holy fuck, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But I almost feel like because they can't show it moving that much, we don't get enough of it. So we get a lot, like, we get the montage in the end of the second act of this movie of like all the mayhem happening and i want more of that and then the end of the movie doesn't really deliver on it yeah i think for me part of it is that there just aren't the same stakes like seeing people get whisked away yeah doesn't pack the same kind of punch seeing a child get eaten a little bit i'm like you know what i need just a touch of gore here to confirm that these people aren't just being you know like when somebody gets gobbled up by a giant fucking clown maybe spit out a finger I don't know. <laughs> okay, I mean, we don't need that, but we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. But put that in your back pocket. All fingers. Right. <laughs> I'll, I'll put fingers into my back pocket. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we open on a slow motion scene of holiday shopping violence to the tune of Bing Crosby's It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. And this initially just seems like we're seeing mayhem in a shopping mall, but it actually wraps up and we're introduced to the central members of the family. So we see Beth, played by Stefania Lavi-Owen, and she is recording workaholic dad Tom, played by Adam Scott, and OCD mom Sarah, played by Tony Collette, as they rush to the stage to break up a fight between their son Max, who is played by MJ Anthony, and some other kid. And we'll later find out that this is all about the existence or or lack thereof of santa claus yeah 
Max is pretty old to still believe in Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. It's weird because there's a suggestion that he does know that Santa's not real, and yet he refuses to give it up. And you're like, okay, but that doesn't make sense entirely. Because if you know something's not real, then that means you already know it's not real. There's a lot of talk of Christmas spirit. And I think that's the yeah. idea is like he knows Santa isn't real, but he still goes along with it because it's keeping the Christmas spirit alive. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was thinking. I was thinking that cause especially when, you, you know, I'm sorry, I jumped in the head. But when they get back home and he wanted to like watch Charlie Brown and all that other stuff, he it seems like he was so into the holiday. And yeah, I feel like he just want to keep the Christmas spirit alive, regardless mm-hmm. if he believed in Santa or not. Yep. And that does make sense, right? I mean, one of the things that people gravitate to around the holidays is the idea of Christmas traditions. So people <laughs> like to do things the same way. They like to have a certain sense of order. And part of that is because the holidays can be very chaotic, but it's also there's a sense of certainty where you say like, oh, I know that this is going to happen. Like we open the gifts in a certain way or we do this on a certain night. I like the idea of tradition, and I think it also puts the film in the context of what Doherty was trying to do, which is like, you know, It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Carol, where you've got a holiday theme about people giving back and recognizing the power of the season with a bit of a dark edge. Yeah. Mm. That was a long diatribe. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> All right. So I do think that this is a bit of a fun way to open the film, though, and it kind of plays on our expectations. This is a familiar world. We've all seen this kind of footage before. Yeah. It always reminds me of that episode of Scream Queens. Whenever <laughs> Emma Roberts, and they have like the Black Friday thing, but Emma Roberts' character, Chanel, she like pays the malls to let her get in an hour early. And she just <laughs> buys everything and like looks at all the people that are like trying to get in. And she's like, oh my God, look, I'm buying your stuff. <laughs> God. Uh, it's so funny. <laughs> that character is such a great bitch. <laughs> this movie could have done with an emma roberts i really thought that beth was being positioned to be the kind of family bitch and it's weird to me that she gets killed first it is and when we get to it i will say that i actually really like her scene but yes no i i agree okay so following a fade to black with the title card the family returns home to find tom's austrian mother Omi, played by Krista Stadler, and she is baking cookies in advance of the arrival of Sarah's abrasive family. And here we go. This family includes Sister Linda, played by Alison Tolman, Hick Husband Howard, played by David Kutchner. David Kutchner playing like every character he's ever played. <laughs> so stereotypical for him this was not a character stretch at all no they probably wrote this with him in mind to be honest i think i read that in the trivia that they might have oh that's possible p.s joe we'll be watching him again and found destination five on sunday okay oh my gosh i was just watching it as well and i was like oh who's going crazy i literally have face blindness for adults in the final destination films yeah well that's fair (laughs) Okay, uh, and then we've got the kids. So we've got gluttonous mute Howie Jr. played by Averick Flat. Nope. Averick, what the? I'm sorry, gluttonous mute. That's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> I kept waiting for this kid to say something, and then I realized he never says a single thing the entire film. He's always eating. Yeah, well, this is the idea. Yeah. He reminds me of that kid from Trick or Treat, the one that was smashing yes! all the pumpkins yes. and stuff. Doherty likes a fat kid curly with curly hair. Kid. Yeah. <laughs> what does this say about him? <laughs> we also have these coded lesbian twins, Jordan, played by Queenie Samuel, Dude. and Stevie, played by Lolo Owen. Ugh. 
I don't know why I'm acting like this is like a big reveal, but I, I was like, oh, I wrote two lesbian girls. <laughs> it's important to acknowledge that this film is playing with very broad tropes. So, you know, when David Kutchner shows up, you're like, oh, yeah, OK, I know this character. He doesn't even really need to say anything because I know the type. And when these two girls show up and they're into hockey and wrestling, you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. we got it. I think Alison Tolman's the only one that isn't really in a stereotype, per se. Like, she, she doesn't have, like, a, a broad caricature for herself. She's just the mom with a bunch of kids who's married to David Kochner. Right. Yeah. And I do like that there's efforts given as the film progresses to flesh out some of these remaining characters, like the people who can survive longer get some moments of humanity so that they're not quite as on the surface as they appear to be in this initial scene. Bobby. Yeah. Could you tell me any of these kids' names? pop quiz Um, (laughs) i literally have like lesbian girl i got max (laughs) yeah i I think one is named stevie and stevie and jordan there we go stevie and jordan well done well done you did better than me because if i had not been writing this i would not (laughs) girl one girl two girl (laughs) butch and butcher Butch oh, and Butch. Oh my gosh. Uh, yes, and then we also have a drunk Aunt Dorothy played by Conchata Farrell. And then we also have a baby in the mix that just keeps getting forgotten. And does yeah. get killed at some point. Yes. R.I.P. Conchata. I was oh, to say, like, so R.I.P. Yeah, we should acknowledge that she has died literally in the past couple months, and it's very sad. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't yeah. know. That's sad. Yeah, she, uh, in mid-October, I think, died from, I want to say, a heart attack. But um, it's really unfortunate because she's a very good comedic actress. Yes. Yeah, yeah she, she definitely helps me to get through this early part of the film. You know I love me. <laughs> she's an you. old lady drunk. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll take it. Yeah, if I can be an Aunt Dorothy, sure, I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the thing that gets me with her is when she's like, you know I don't like kids. I'm like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> She said, I didn't even like when I was one. <laughs> that is a fantastic line. Love it. <sighs> I would want to hang with her if I was a kid. And even though she probably wouldn't oh, like yeah. me, I would still like to hang with her. Yeah, you kind of lurk off to the side and hope she kind of doesn't notice you, but also you're taking notes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Slip me a drink. I mean, come on. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so this early part of the film is really just about establishing the family dynamics. And shockingly enough, there's a bunch of petty family squabbles. So we're firmly into uncomfortable family holiday territory with this. My favorite line, Aunt Dorothy says, who doesn't bake a ham for Christmas? What are you, a Jew? Oh my <laughs> I gosh. That down I don't know how to oh. feel about that. <laughs> aunt Dorothy. No, no, no with the anti-Semitism. I was like, yeah, it's your anti-Semitic aunt. I do love the it's a little dry stuff over the roast. The lesbian girls calling Max maxi pad. Like, mm. yeah. it's just a lot of microaggressions. Yeah, 100%. And that's what I'm saying. You know, like that's what you get when you have big family gatherings. Or sometimes small ones. Or sometimes small ones. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Except for Bobby. Except for Bobby. <laughs> Bobby's over there living a charmed life. You bastard. Oh my gosh. I mean, it wasn't all rainbows and roses, y'all. But no. <laughs> You've just come out the other side and you're like a well-adjusted man. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, so it doesn't take long before this erupts into full-blown violence, because as we've established, Max is actually quite a bit of a hothead when pressed, so he gets very upset when Jordan and Stevie read his confessional letter to Santa, and later on, at night, in frustration, he rips up the letter, and he throws it into the night, and we've got this dark cloud. Can I say something about the fight? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Yes. I got very frustrated, actually, when they were, first of all, when he took the note from home and was reading it, and his sister, Max's sister, was just sitting there, like, stopping him from, like, doing anything. She was just sitting there letting these kids just embarrass him and just make fun of him, and I was just like, as an older sister, I feel like you should have more control over that instead of them, like, them doing it to your little brother. I agree with you because even the dad, Adam Scott, does that kind of a thing where they're like, don't do anything. And it's like, yeah, but these bitches are like, mm-hmm. I know we've been selective about using the C word, Joe, but they are cunts. <laughs> no, they are. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, I, I, we, we, we kind of like, I, I know we're like going through the plot, but like we glossed through the payoff of like, he wrote in his note, like, oh, even though the girl's dad wished that they were boys, and that's yeah. what sets them off. When he lost it. Mm-hmm. That's a really good moment, and that's not even what sets off the fight, because honestly, I feel like they should be the ones to set off the fight for that remark in his note, but it's him. It's still on him for, s- for starting the fight, and that's what's really upsetting to me about it. Yeah. Well, because a lot of the letter is actually comprised of truths. Like the moment that hits me is when he says, "I can't remember which coupling he says it about, but he wishes that they would fall back in love with each other." His parents. Uh, yeah. And you're just like, "Oh my god! Can you imagine being a little kid?" That is such a child thing that you would wish for at Christmas, and to just have that read out loud. It's so uncomfortable. But that's actually something, like, I mean, I know we're in, like, a 98-minute movie here, but, like, I actually wouldn't have minded, like, those revelations from that letter had time to breathe and, like, Mm -hmm. have, like, the reactions to everybody and being like, Max, what are you saying? Or, like, you know, uh, Linda and, uh, and Howard are, like, having problems with money and blah, blah, blah. Like, I actually wouldn't have minded to, like, have those longer character beats for that, and this movie does kind of rush past it. Well, yeah. yeah, because we got to get to the action, right? Which it's wh- the problem with get. North American <laughs> horror films in general. It's like, well, when's that first body going to drop? You're thinking, well, but I need to care about these people before I can care whether one of them dies. Maybe they were trying to do the whole Home Alone thing. Because you remember mm-hmm. in Home Alone when, you know, Buzz was like picking on Kevin and then the whole family just was like targeting him the whole entire oh, time, even yes. though Buzz was like, an yes, asshole. Yes, yes. That makes sense, Bobby. I have a similar issue with Home Alone because I don't love that movie like everyone else does. And that's my hang up, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really astute observation. Now that I'm thinking about this, this is 100% the dinner scene from Home Alone. Yeah. 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 I do agree. I would have liked a little bit more with these folks because really at this point, we are in it. You know, the minute he rips out that letter and throws it out, we've got that dark cloud that comes. The score swells. I do wish the score was a little bit better in this movie oh, as well. Fuck you. No. I love <laughs> I love Douglas Pipes' score for this movie. So do I. No, this is like I walked out of the theater and I immediately bought this album on iTunes because I loved how it blends like Christmas carols with oh, I actually wrote this down. With pagan music thrown in, and he like ta- he throws in um, chains, bells, bones, and animal skin drums into the score. So it's right. like it's like Home Alone meets Joe, as you said, The Witch, hmm. <laughs> and it's a really fun combination of that. But my issue is, I do think that the score is mm-hmm. darker than what we're seeing happen on screen. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I found like it it only really felt prominent in this moment and then in the climax when Max nope. is confronting Krampus. No, 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 no. It's it's all there. <laughs> it's it's there in the action scenes too. It's a really, really good score. Der Clown has his own theme and it's great. Okay. Oh well, in that case, I stand corrected. <laughs> this score is great, y'all. <laughs> you don't have to think that. I'm glad that Bobby's on my side, but you don't have to agree with me. I'm just saying I do love this score a lot. I, I actually think it's better than the Trick or Treat score because Douglas Pipes also did Trick or Treat. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because it's using Christmas carols that I'm familiar with and like warping them into these weird, like Krampusy things. Right. But I do find this score very memorable compared to the Trick or Treat score. Okay. Uh, I'm on the opposite on that one, man. <laughs> no, uh, Green Ben. <laughs> and I'm not being biased, but I don't no, know. No, it's okay. <laughs> Everybody gets a favorite. Yeah, we do. You like trick or treat. I like this, and Joe likes nothing. Joe likes n- neither. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot be satisfied. <laughs> okay so the family awakens on december 23rd i do like the touch of the advent calendar doors opening to signify the change in dates that's a fun little touch all right so they wake up and there is a big ass blizzard outside and there is no power i do enjoy the line where howard says well what are we going to eat and sarah says well there's all those leftovers and he just has this look that says oh no he said i guess i'll have a beer no he said beer it is <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is though there's no power that refrigerator is not working so right. all those leftovers so are bad. not cold yeah they're bad they've got to eat all that food before it spoils although yeah. the the implication in this film is that that blizzard is so cold that they could actually get hypothermia and die if they're not careful I actually love the way that the outside looks in this movie. I think the street scenes are really well done. Like, I mean, the, there's not a lot of geography here. Like, it's all done on a soundstage. Mm-hmm. I just think it looks really cool. <laughs> yeah. And being as though there's a blizzard, you don't really need a lot going on outside because you can't really see shit anyway. It's just mm-hmm. lots of snow, wind, yeah. houses, and Krampus jumping roof to roof. Love oh yeah, y'all it. would know better than I do because we don't get blizzards in Texas. I was going to say, you don't even know what this is like. (laughs) (laughs) Bobby and I are like, let us tell you about storms. Yeah. I remember on the first watch, so I saw this in theaters, and I was really confused by these scenes. So basically what ends up happening is Beth ventures out into the storm because she has to go check on her dumb stoner boyfriend, Derek, who lives a couple blocks away. These two are terrible. The parent in me stepped in and thought, Beth, no, this guy's not going to be good for you. What parent allows their <laughs> child to go out in a blizzard like that? To yeah. check on their boyfriend. Adam My Scott. mother would be like, no, you stay in your ass in the house. I don't care. He got his own family. He'd be okay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or like take a parent with you. Exactly. You letting this girl go out in a blizzard. You can't even see anything out there. And you let her go on adventures by herself. Wow. Yeah. But, uh, I remember when I saw this in the theaters that when she's walking down the street, the houses are completely frozen over. And because Mm -hmm. I live in Canada and I go through winter every year, it took me out of the film briefly because it doesn't look realistic at all. And, you know, when you get to the end of the film and you realize what's happening, oh, it makes a lot of sense. But in this Mm -hmm. moment, the first time viewing, I just looked at it and thought, no, this doesn't work for me. This isn't realistic at all. Like, what the fuck's happening here? Well, I do appreciate that it be- it becomes kind of like a, oh, they're isolated in like their own alternate universe type thing. Mm-hmm. Apparently, original outlines for the film felt, quote unquote, too much like a horror film. <laughs> 
and relied on Krampus picking people off throughout the town, which we do get a hint of that later when they go to the boyfriend's house. Yeah. Which honestly doesn't make sense with the film we have. <laughs> because it's like, okay, well, Krampus is targeting this family, but oops, right. no, he's also getting everyone in this town and also freezing the mailman in his van. <laughs> so you could blame Max for everybody's demise. Yeah, like right. Max killed all these people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, unless you believe that Max is the gateway, and then while Krampus is there, he's like, cool, it's December 5th, I'm just going to go around, oh, naughty, 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 got you, and I'm good to go. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> the movie doesn't explain it, so it's just like, all right, well, take it for what it is. Yeah, it definitely feels like a holdover from an earlier draft of the script, maybe when he was operating on a bigger geography. Mm, for sure. Yeah. But this scene, this this whole Beth sequence. Yeah, I mean, there's really nothing to it apart from the fact that she is stalked as Krampus jumps from rooftop to rooftop. But I love the hint of a reveal, but not really. So, you know, we can clearly see this is not a human being. We can clearly see it's mm. very tall. We do get the robe, the chains, the cloven hooves, and then she's eventually attacked by a jack-in-the-box. But even that, we don't get a good sense of what's happened. Even right. the, like, the, that shot of when she sees him on the roof for the first time. like it's So such creepy. A... Yeah, right? It's really mm-hmm. creepy and it's really good. Yes. It does set a tone for something creepier that I don't think the movie delivers. I, I yeah. realize that I'm coming down on this film a lot. And again, I like it. But it's just one of those things where I'm like, you know, this scene is setting up something for me that I don't think the movie really continues on that path with. But I love this scene. I think it's great. Right. Yeah. Especially to Warren, like when he's like jumping and you just hear like that. Oh, yeah. Warren, mm-hmm. I'm just like, ugh. I don't know. I just got goosebumps here. And right now I got goosebumps. <laughs> nice. Uh. Yeah, it, this is a really, really effective scene. And I think it's a good first set piece. It's also unexpected. I didn't think that Beth would be the one to go because she doesn't seem like an obvious pick. Right. Well, yeah, because honestly, I, I wonder if the idea was like, oh, in a horror movie, the final girl is the teenage daughter. So they wanted to get her off first. I mean, I don't think it has that effect where it's like, oh, I'm so shocked by this. But kind of? Yeah. A little bit. The minute that she wanders off by herself, you think, okay, well, she's probably done for. But also, it is surprising that of all the characters, Beth is kind of inconsequential. Maybe that's why they go for her, because she's just not that big of a personality. But still surprised. Even though I liked her a little, like, I liked her a little better in this film, but I used to watch Carrie Diaries, and she played the little annoying sister to Carrie Bradshaw on the Carrie Diaries. And I'm just trying to watch that. No, I didn't, but I saw that, and I was really curious. So that you have seen that, by all means, enlighten us. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, because I'm like, all right, because I used to watch, like, Gossip Girl, 9021. You, you guys can obviously edit this out. No, we watch no, Gossip we Girl. we will. Girl. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> and I was a fan of the CW, Vampire Diaries, yes. all that fun stuff. We love the CW. We love the CW. <laughs> <laughs> and the Carrie Diaries was on here, and I was like, all right, I like Sex and the City, so let me give this a try. And I said, sure. oh, this is a cute little teen show, and she played the younger sister to Carrie Bradshaw, and she was such a bitch for no reason. <laughs> so when I seen that she was in this movie, I said, ooh, I hope she get it good in this movie. And then I started oh, to like her does. a little bit. And she does. She does. <laughs> It's always so satisfying when you can see a person from one property get horrifically murdered in another property because you're like, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> you mm. finally got what's coming to you. I do like that we get like Der Clown because this is Der Clown that gets her. Presumably, yeah. 
I mean, he's the Jack in the Box, but we don't see him in full form. According to Wikipedia, it is Der Clown because we do see his like hands kind of come out and we see the top of his little gesture happen, and then it cuts away before we he it actually like away, fully yeah. emerges from the box. Yeah. And I'm assuming that's what may become the big Jack in the Box that he is after he eats her, maybe. Oh, like he's had a full meal, so he gets a bit bigger. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's what I'm assuming. Were y'all not wanting them to cut open this Jack in the Box and spill out the kids? Oh, a hundred percent. Oh, yes. <laughs> but also, Bobby, now I'm just loving this idea that the Jack in the Box got Beth bloat. Oh, I had too much Beth, and now I'm so bloated. All oh, the holidays. Why do I do this? Hmm. <laughs> Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. So you need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. And it needs to say, I'm a thoughtful person, and I appreciate you, and I know exactly what you like, all at the same time. Well, Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, or the pasta lover. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there's something for everyone on Etsy. Whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. (sighs) <sighs> okay, so Beth is dead, and that means that Tom and Howard realize that they need to go out and find her, and Omi says, no, you should not go outside. They, of course, ignore her, because who's going to listen to an old lady? So they go outside. They find an abandoned snowplow. They get to Derek's house. It is trashed and completely frozen, and then Howard is bitten by something under the snow and nearly dragged away. Do y'all like the sequence? I love it. I don't mind it. My issue is that it's very reminiscent to me of a Canadian sci-fi film called Screamers from the late 90s. Okay, see, I was going to go with Tremors, but okay. Okay, Tremors, yeah. yeah. I mean, Tremors is like just the bigger U.S. property of it. But yeah, sure. but it was 1990, so it was <laughs> yeah. before your Screamers. <laughs> uh, well, Screamers is based on a Philip K. Dick novel, which is quite a bit Oh, older. god damn it, Joe! <laughs> <laughs> I win. You lose. Suck it, suck it, suck it. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I I love the idea of something under the surface. It's just horrifying. You away I wish we had to see what it was, though, right? Yeah, like you wish you could see what it was. Presumably, it's just a dark elf. But I would have loved to see teeth or maybe a little blood. I actually prefer them going through the boyfriend's house. That's where we are, right? Like it's like right mm-hmm. before this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love 
seeing the cracked chimney, seeing the gingerbread man stabbed. Again, mm-hmm. it doesn't really make a lot of sense given the plot of the film and what we know about it. It does feel like a leftover from an earlier draft, but that feels very eerie to me. And I do love this Tremorsy slash Screamersy thing <laughs> that's happening. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun, particularly now. When we get later, it feels a little bit overplayed. Like when we're losing three or four characters to the same thing, it gets a bit old. But early on, we have no idea what's happening. So it's confusing and exciting and interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, They also realize that their car has been destroyed. So they don't have a way to get off the street and escape from the blizzard, even if they wanted to. So they managed to get back, and of course Howard is bleeding profusely, so the kids and Aunt Dorothy go to get drunk in the kitchen. Apparently <laughs> the, they were worried about that, about a child drinking an alcoholic beverage, to get an R rating. Like, they were worried God. about that. Are you serious? Not even Nothing joking. MPA. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, as opposed to, you know, the their clown swallowing a child. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's fantasy. <laughs> yeah that's something (laughs) Uh, so well they are sequestered in the kitchen getting drunk this is when omi tells tom to keep the fire lit at all times they tend to howard's wounds Uh, they don't listen to that shit for a second by the way not even no because of course they immediately then hunger down and go to sleep and the fire goes out so this is when we get our friend so this is meat hook and or cat croaker aka the hook that comes down to get the meat and he has tied a gingerbread man to the hook so that we can lure in howie jr who takes a bite of the gingerbread man who screams and then he is immediately dragged up and away through the chimney i really like the setup for this i think this is really cool i also think it's shot really well like from like Mm -hmm. from the back of the fireplace when you see the hook drop down i don't know why more people don't wake up <laughs> right. The only person that was up was the baby. Because if you look, the baby would just look in like at the chimney, I believe. But everybody else was asleep. And I mean, I understand uh what's his name was supposed to stay because he was on like lookout or whatever. Howard. Yeah, Howard. But I expected Omi to at least stay up because she seemed more, you know. Right. This bitch knows what's going it. on. Yeah. So I didn't expect her <laughs> to fall asleep, you know? <laughs> so I was surprised at that. Yeah, why why doesn't she tell them, by the way, you guys, you may not believe it, but <laughs> Krampus is coming. She's like, okay, I gotta lose at least one child or else they're not gonna believe this. So I'm gonna let this I'm gonna let the mute one go and then uh yeah, they're gonna That's believe great. me after this. Oh, uh man. Yeah, this sequence is really good. Tony Collette comes out of it looking absolutely trashed. The tree is lit on fire, which I think is the other reason that I definitely thought of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, because, like, the tree is so prominently lit on fire in that. I'm going to make a confession to y'all. You haven't seen it, have you? No, I have. I wasn't allowed to watch (sighs) National Lampoon's anything growing up because my parents didn't like, quote-unquote, silly humor, so I couldn't watch National Lampoon because it was always silly humor. Yes. My husband made me watch vegas vacation like three years ago and i was like this isn't very good um but he loves it and so then i was like you know what i'm gonna watch vacation because the new one was coming out with christina applegate and ed helms and i was like all right i'm gonna watch vacation right i didn't quite get the appeal and so then my husband made me watch christmas vacation and i was like Mm. i don't get why everyone likes this i don't understand these movies i don't think they're that funny they honestly make me very angry (laughs) i mean i think deliberately so 
Yeah. <laughs> they do. And so I- I'm al- almost mad, again, at my parents for not letting me watch this. Because I feel like if I had seen them as a kid, I might be like, oh, they're really yeah. fun and stupid. Whereas, honestly, like, watching them between the ages of, like, 27 and 31, I'm just kind of like, yeah. I really don't like these movies. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. Because... I kind of grew up watching those too. Like I watched around Christmas time. It was like that one. And obviously Charlie mm-hmm. Brown. Mm-hmm. My favorite Christmas movie is Scrooge with Bill Murray. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I watched that like every damn year. That's, That's like, a dark one too. Oh, it's really dark. Yeah. Confession. I was actually watching it before I got on with you guys. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. National Lapoons was definitely like a favorite. But I get what you're saying, Trace. Like if you watch it as an adult. You kind of just like, eh, this is silly and stupid. I don't get the appeal to it. Yeah, you don't have the nostalgic appeal mm-hmm. that other people no, do. No, I don't mean to shit anyone who still likes it. Maybe if you saw it as an adult, you did like it. But it's just one of those things where it's like, it's just a bunch of like, what could go wrong does go wrong. And that doesn't equal funny. That's not funny for me. Like, that's just very much like, oh, this is very frustrating <laughs> to watch. Yeah, I will confess that Clark Griswold is identical to my father. Chevy Chase could be my dad in that movie. It's terrifying. Wow. Yeah. So if you think that's uncomfortable, try living it. I'm so sorry. Well, you've (laughs) explained yourself to me a lot. (laughs) Oh, my my dad is a barrel of laughs and also super racist and also super racist. Oh, my God. My dad's a racist, too. Yay. (laughs) Fuck. This is why we become well-adjusted adults is because we have to compensate for our parents. Yeah, who are but, like... but my dad grew up in like Podunk, Louisiana. So while I don't excuse his racism, I understand his racism. Like I understand where it comes from. Does Canada have like a racist section? Uh, yeah, we like to pretend that we're not racist. And then we basically oh my... hate our Bobby, indigenous people. Tell us your thoughts about racism. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody settle in for a three hour. No spotlight no this is funny i was at um work the other day and um i don't know i was talking to a lady that came into my job and she was just talking about moving i was like yeah i want to move to canada but i want to visit first and she literally says in front of everybody there's no black people in canada i was like Ah, what like first of all you're wrong Oh, yes. <laughs> and two, like, why, like, like, how did you come to that? Like, what? What? <laughs> I was so confused. You're like, cool, bitch. I'm gonna be a trailblazer. Bye. Right. <laughs> I mean, this lady is blunt. Like, I deal with her like all the fucking time. But like, when she said that, I was like, wow. Okay, oh, wow. get out my store. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to deal with that. Yeah, no, it's fine. It didn't, it didn't offend me at all. Actually, it's fine. I heard You're words. just like, oh wow. People are so misinformed and stupid and blunt. (laughs) Yep. Very much so. (laughs) Oh, my God. Gotta love it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we're white, so. (laughs) I mean, we, yeah, like, we literally don't have to deal with that because, anyway. Um, Yeah. So, I love that after all of this, Omi relights the fire. She's like, cool, we're down one kid. I'm just going to relight this fire. Also, let me tell you this claymation story about my life. (laughs) Yeah, we've got this beautiful animated flashback. I really like this. I completely forgot about this until this rewatch. I heard mixed stories about like this. Like some people like enjoyed it and some people didn't. I enjoyed it because it kind of referenced back to all the claymation uh, Christmas movies that we used to watch as a kid. No, like the the Rudolph or Mm -hmm. then the Mr. Heat Miser, Mr. Snowfrush, the Snowman. Exactly. I hate all of those. Yeah, Trace what? hates claymation. It really creeps me out. I don't think it's cute. I think oh, it's I very disturbing. 
And so watching this brought me back to being like a child watching fucking Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and being like, mm -hmm. I feel so uncomfortable watching this because I am creeped the fuck out. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, used to, I mean, I, I can see how you were scared, but I used to love them. Yeah, because you're a regular person. You're not like some weird traumatized <laughs> no. kid over in the corner. Like it's, not, it's not that I'm scared. I'm just watching this like this is unnatural. Like this movement of these things is unnatural and I don't like it. And I, I realize I'm in the minority. I just don't like claymation stop motion. I, I don't like any of it. It oh really... God. We are getting so many hot takes from you in Krampus. Like, right. National Lampoons, <laughs> not for me. Claymation, not for me. Says the guy in the Krampus episode who doesn't even like Krampus that much. <laughs> I like Krampus the creature plenty. Bobby, I appreciate you being like a mediator for this episode. Bobby's like, I didn't sign up for this shit. No, I love it. It's fun. <laughs> uh, okay, so we've got this fantastic fantastic animated flashback and <laughs> this is basically where we find out that if you lose the christmas spirit that is what will get you into trouble that is when krampus will come for you and i do love the darkness again just this hint of darkness that omi lost her parents yeah. in this visit so it does kind of set the stage that oh shit this could be really bad yeah mm-hmm so everybody goes back to bed. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, we're good. So, so this is when we get to December 24th then. Correct. Yes. Okay. Tom wakes up with a plan. They're going to go for the snowplow. This is how they're going to escape from this. And everybody's like, okay, cool. So you look at that. And meanwhile, the twins are being lured up to the attic by Beth's voice. So Jordan is consumed by Dirk Clown, the giant jack-in-the-box. And then we get this fantastic cross-cut sequence where basically the entire house is under siege. So we've got Linda, Sarah, and Tom are attacked by toys in the attic. And then in the kitchen, Howard is besieged by a group of gingerbread men armed with a nail gun. How did you guys feel about the CGI with the um, gingerbread man? Oh, I know how Joe feels about it. It's not my favorite. Okay. I'm willing to overlook it, but let's say that in 2015, when I first saw this in the theaters, I was not happy with it. Okay. Everybody still there? I'm here. Oh, Trace is playing. Sorry, I was pulling up my <laughs> my piece of score on my phone. <laughs> That's the clown thing, by the way. Yeah, yeah, because I can't just put that in in post, Trace. I'm just saying, I was like, oh, I love this score. No, um, uh, the gingerbread man do look like poo. Ginger poo? <laughs> yeah, ginger poo. Um, but 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 the tone of that sequence, mm -hmm. which granted, I know we're we're cross cutting it with the child eating puppet clown thing. Yes. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's it's interesting, right? We're getting this like funny, cartoonish, like gingerbread man like fight scene. Which, by the way, one of these gingerbread men is voiced by Seth Green. Seth Green. Yeah. yeah. Really weird. It's actually not that weird if you think about the fact that he's heavily involved in Robot Chicken, aka Claymation. Oh, uh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> True. But it is weird, though, because what's happening in the attic actually feels very life-threatening. Oh, it's terrifying. That angel is oh my. deeply unsettling. Mm -hmm. Yes. It has yeah. a child's face to it. One, I mean, like, like <laughs> the, the clown thing, it's like you can see, like, the facial muscle, muscles, muscles <laughs> when it opens its mouth. It's all mm -hmm. red and gooey and sinewy. and it's so uh, good. It's really good. I would have loved to see more of it. We do get this, like, moment of Linda where she's like, my daughters are being taken away, and I'm going to 
being mm. a good mom and blah blah blah. I think it's yeah. like a redemption <laughs> moment for her that, that just doesn't really pay off, honestly, because a she doesn't get your clown. <laughs> he gets away. <laughs> right. Instead yeah. of her talking before she like tried to like attack yes! it, she should have just attacked it. <laughs> it's yeah. like stop giving a monologue, just do it. Exactly. Yeah. She would have at least saved maybe her daughter if she wouldn't have just talked so damn much. Just yeah. <laughs> I think this is a really fun sequence. I yeah. do agree that the gingerbread man look like shit, but honestly, it's just kind of like the cross cutting of like the life threatening to the cartoonish. It does work for me, but I could also see how the cartoonishness of the gingerbread stuff would downplay the seriousness of what's happening in the attic. Because what's happening in the attic. Yeah. that's the joe dante it's, in this movie. it's scary mm-hmm. it is i just don't think that that's actually the intention like i don't ever get a sense that we're trying to introduce levity to undercut the violence or the right. horror here i think that this is just not well executed shrek level gingerbread men Ooh, that's a harsh burn but i won't argue with you on that because i agree <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll be honest, barring the fact that it doesn't look good, I'm still totally engaged. I actually think that this is the film peaking in terms of action for me. Well, also, Linda stabbing the bear in the eye and you get that green goo come out of the eye. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a way around the R rating because it's a green goo and not blood. Like, I do want more of it. That's the thing. And I I can see, Joe, where you're coming from, where it's like, I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. More of this, please. Yeah. And then the film doesn't. It doesn't deliver on it. So I I do totally get where you're coming from with this. That Jack in the Box, though, just made me uncomfortable. It's just, it's like, I know it's a toy. I'm sorry. His name is Der Clown. (laughs) Capital D, capital K. Dirt Clown. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dirt Clown <laughs> is terrifying. <laughs> and it just made me so uncomfortable because I know it's not supposed to be alive, like the bear and that angel or whatever, but it's just something mm-hmm. about it. Like it clapping and just, uh, the I don't clapping know. Is really good. It just, yes. it just it's yeah. so creepy. Like I would literally have nightmares over that thing over Krampus himself seeing it eat whichever girl it gets i can't even remember did it remind you of nightmare on elm street 3 when freddy is the worm yes trace is like no trace no. Is still there. <laughs> I, i'm here now did you say I, it i do get it what i what i was actually going for thinking about was um in men in black whenever the bug eats tommy lee jones <laughs> Oh my god. And he has like the prongs on his face that like push his feet down his throat. Oh right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. It's a really good creature design. I'll agree with you, Bobby. When the action moves downstairs and there's all the vent work and Rosie the dog goes in and then the ceiling collapses in. All of this kind of stuff is actually quite good. But man, seeing that moment where De Clown starts clapping as the dark elves <gasps> break through oh, the window. Yeah. Oh, yes. Good. It's yes. super freaky and weird. It's very weird. That No, that moment is, I, I think I even put in my notes, like, holy shit, this is, like, great. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, you know, they're all they're all about to kill everyone, and then boom, like, you hear the score kick in, by the way. Yeah. No, didn't hear it. So. And, no, that score was, a, no, I love that score. It was like this marching and bells. Yeah, and the just, drums. Yeah, the oh, drums, so yeah. And, and, but yeah, but that visual, I'm glad you mentioned it because the visual of the Der Clown like clapping mm-hmm. is so sinister and creepy and it's it's so good. And honestly, with the exception of Max being dropped into hell, it's the last true moment of horror that I feel from this movie. 
Yeah, because yeah. even when these dark elves break in at this point, so like the angel and the teddy bear have been taken care of by Aunt Dorothy with a shotgun. Oh, Aunt <laughs> Dorothy, love you. But then they break in and everybody's just kind of standing there. They're pressed up against the wall. They're freaking out a little bit because obviously the dark elves go after the baby, which again, very uncomfortable and also very 80s. Oh yeah, that baby is dead. That baby is gone. <laughs> <laughs> they also take in Dorothy, but everybody's just kind of standing there oh, sort of looking wait. around. And no, I'm thinking like these people would be freaking out. When they took Aunt Dorothy, I literally like chuckled because that sound effect when she flew out. Yes! Yes! No! The sound effect. There's a sound effect yeah. when she gets taken away. And I'm like, why are you doing this movie? Like, it's this is supposed cartoony. to be scary. Like, don't yeah. give me that creepy, uh, that kooky sound effect when Aunt Dorothy's <laughs> taken away. It's a little Looney Tunes, isn't it? it 100%. Yeah. I think maybe it's supposed to take away from, like, the tension and stuff, you know. It's a little comedic relief right there. And being as though this is coming from Michael Doherty uh, with Trick or Treat, he had, he had that same thing going mm-hmm. on in that movie. I, I can see it happening there. I wasn't expecting it, but it was it was funny to me. <laughs> I enjoyed it. No, it, it is funny, but I think, I mean, again, for me personally, I definitely wanted something that was a bit darker. Like, we talk about this a lot, Joe, right? Where it's like, okay, well, the movie on its own terms like is it what i want or is it what the movie's trying to do yeah and i do think though that with this movie i think doherty was compromised because obviously they wanted to make an r-rated movie mm-hmm. but they couldn't so. because universal wouldn't distribute it so they yeah. had to agree to it but it also yeah. seems like they didn't then compromise on yeah. okay well if we can't get the r how are we going to pull it back a little bit i mean i know you mentioned black christmas dismissively which fuck you because a lot of people really do like that film. i know which one the, the 2019 okay <laughs> it's okay not to like a movie and it's okay to like a movie but yeah, that's true in this case i kind of get the same impression like they almost shot it like an r film but then they couldn't do everything right. and as a result yeah i can feel the r rating lurking around the edges and then these moments where the tones just don't quite meet feel a little bit more jarring like i i wish it was better balanced like trick-or-treat could you imagine yeah. r-rated version of this though with like murder set pieces with like kill oh my scenes god yeah horror? it would be fucking amazing, amazing. it would be just kiss awesome awesome Durkman would be vomiting up one of those twins oh yeah. yes and unfortunately like yeah we will not get that movie and that's not the movie we have and that's where i'm kind of like okay well am i being unfair with this movie because i want that movie that's why I'm at yeah. a three and a half where I'm like, you know what? I know what I want this movie to be and it's not that. So as it is, it's fine. But I also do feel Michael yeah. Doherty's hands being like, I want to make this an R-rated movie <laughs> as yeah, he's it's making like he's, it. He's directing with one hand in front and then one hand is, feels like it's being tied behind his back by the studio yeah. saying, no R-rating. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I wish he was able to do like a director's cut where, oh, you yes. know, get a DVD. Just fill and, that in a little bit, right? Yes. And just have like the R-rated uh, version of Krampus that he always wanted to do. I mean, mm-hmm. if Rob Zombie can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Why does Rob Zombie get to do R-rated? <laughs> <laughs> Moving forward, though, with the score, I will say that mm-hmm. so everyone leaves. Omi stays behind because she's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to face down Krampus. Sure. The Love score it. that kicks in when the chimney starts cracking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like this boom, boom, boom. It's such a good like build up to what you're about to see this beast come out, and it's. I do think the reveal of Krampus' face, I'm sorry, quote unquote face, is yeah awesome. And with the tongue, I agree. Oh, 
I absolutely agree. Just how big he is, that face, just mm -hmm. everything, that hunch. The tongue, yeah. The tongue, just every, that whole design was amazing. Yeah, bitch loves to make a entrance. So did y'all know that he was wearing a mask? Honestly, I didn't even notice that until someone told me yesterday. Same. Recently, I found out through the, um, I was watching like the special features and stuff. But when I first seen it, I was like, is this really his face? Mm-hmm. And just something's off, but then they reveal that he's wearing a mask or a human face or something like that. Yeah, which is, again, very unsettling. But I think the mm -hmm. fact that none of us could figure that out from watching the film, we had yeah. to be told or see it in special features, tells me that it doesn't quite work. Well, because I honestly thought that it was maybe like a weird prosthetic looking thing, but like yeah. behind the scenes, right? Like. I, I wasn't watching the movie being like, oh, that's Krampus wearing a Santa mask or whatever. Mm -hmm. I right. thought it was just a weird prosthetic that looked really cool. So, yes, I, I agree with you on that, Joe. Yeah, I, I don't know what they could have done differently because I think it would have been silly. You know, I'm thinking of A Christmas Carol where you typically get the ghost of Christmas future and it's the hood with the blank vastness black in there right so there's no face to it it's just like you're looking into a gaping abyss also the title of trace's sex tape but um <laughs> Sorry, i muted myself as a point why but fuck you <laughs> but i don't think that would have worked here so i do think that they needed some kind of face i just i don't love what they ended up settling on but now that I know that it's actually like a home wearing a mask or a face, I want to know the origins behind that. Like, whose face is that? Exactly. Is that the real Santa Claus face? Like, <gasps> he killed Saint Nick? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Th th no, that's a possibility. And I think it's a really cool idea that could have been like investigated in a sequel that we'll never get. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's like <laughs> Krampus went to the Leatherface Ranch and took that face and then was like, Peace out. I gotta go see some kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I do like what Michael Doherty do with, like, his characters. I mean, even though Krampus is not technically his, but what he did with this character and then Sam on Trick or Treat, where they wear mm -hmm. these masks and it's like they're covering up something because obviously they don't want to reveal them to themselves. Um, at yeah. least with Sam, we see his face, but with Krampus, it was never an opportunity or, like, a battle where he had to lose his mask or somebody was trying to take it off. So it's still like a mystery of what he looks like. Yeah. I'm thinking about the climax and when Max faces him down, that could have been an interesting opportunity mm -hmm. for Krampus to do a bit of a reveal, right? Yeah. But instead, no, he Valentinas it up. No, he wants to Well, it let's move over there then. I do like the reveal because again, it's a reversal, right? Because you're like, oh, he says, I learned my lesson. I know what I'm doing. Like, please, I take it all back. And you expect Krampus to be like, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I do like that he's like, he just laughs at this kid. He plays Then on, they yeah. throw the other lesbian in hell. <laughs> yeah, because at this point, we've, we've lost all the adults. They've been stolen away by the Tremors. Yeah, that was like a really rushed way to get rid of them. Yeah, we lose too many people too quickly, which again, you're like, okay, oh my gosh, they're dropping like flies, but it doesn't feel like it's accelerating. Yeah. I actually feel like the film is slowing down at this like, point. Like I wanted kind of a set piece for each one, but I do like Toni Collette being like, I love you, like before mm. she, like, cause she knows she's about to get pulled under. Yeah. I do like that moment, but yes, it's like we lose Adam Scott, we lose Alison Tolman, we lose Toni Collette, like in the, the span of... 45 seconds mm -hmm. to the tremors mm -hmm. slash screamers monsters and <laughs> it's just like all right, okay, all right that's done yeah 
And to me, this is also where it was increasingly poor returns each time somebody got sucked under. I yeah. wanted them to be picked up by something else. You know, I bet in an R-rated version, there would be blood that would just cough up from where they got sucked oh, in. Oh, for sure, for oh, sure. Yes. There'd be bloody smears in the snow or something. Yes, mm-hmm. I would love that, just to see bloody snow. Yes. Just dragged across the floor. I mean, if you're doing a, a holiday horror, and you're giving me snow, and I don't see blood on that snow at some point... Yeah. Ooh. Oh, yeah, good point. Missed blood opportunity. Great. Mm-hmm. Ah. So would that play into our R-rating if you even see a little bit of blood? If it's red, yeah. I think Black Christmas 2019 actually does some red blood in the snow, which is really effective. A little bit. or Maybe it's 2006. Maybe. Whatever. One Listeners, let us know. You remember better than we do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this confrontation. So yeah, Max more or less apologizes twice. And the first time Krampus laughs and throws in Stevie. And then the second time <laughs> Max apologizes and he gets tossed in the pit. I wasn't expecting that when I saw this. And I think because of how... No, I don't even know why, honestly. Like, it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, that is at least a dark enough turn where I'm like, okay, well, that's good at least. I would have loved more Carnage, but it's still a dark turn where I'm like, I wasn't expecting this from what is essentially a family horror film. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then this all gets... Well, let's talk about this. So the final scene is that Max wakes up. It seems like it might have all been a dream. All the members of the family are back. They open gifts. He opens a gift and he gets the same bell from Krampus that he threw away to open that fiery pit in the climax. And everyone seems to remember. Yeah. And we get little snippets of dialogue from the last few days. And then we get the cliffhanger kick to the balls where the camera pulls back to reveal that the house is actually inside a snow globe. It's one of many inside Krampus's fiery workshop. And then we got the dark elves who lunge at the screen for one last scare all right so to toys too two readings of this that have come out mm-hmm. one is hey they're trapped in a vicious hell loop and because max said i wanted christmas like it used to be the whole family is stuck reliving the same christmas every day and crap is snow globe yeah like a purgatory or something yeah yes, like a twilight exactly. zone type thing mm-hmm. the other one is oh no they're back to normal and everything's fine the snow globe is just basically like Krampus's way of watching them. I'm keeping yeah. an eye on these people. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense if you think of the way that Omi talked about how even after her ordeal, she still realized, okay, I've got to keep this Christmas spirit alive. Which makes sense when you think about the fact that she's right. baking and all this shit throughout the early parts of the film. I 100% read this the first way as purgatory. Me too. Same yeah. here. Because when you look at it, it looks like even a dream sequence because everything just seems so like just cloudy and dreamy. Like it didn't seem Oh, yeah. Real. There's a glossy filter over yeah. this. Yeah. It yeah. didn't seem real to me. So I'm like, this has to be like you guys said, like a purgatory or they're trapped in their own hell and they have to relive this over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. I think I prefer that ending, even if though it's so dark that I almost feel like it betrays the tone of the rest of the film. But maybe I'll disagree. No, I like it because of that. Like, the Mm -hmm. film took all those risks in killing all these people. And then, to me, it feels like it's going against itself if it just says, oh, no, they're all back. It's okay. 
it's basically the equivalent of oh it was all a dream and i yeah. don't like that oh yeah oh if we wouldn't have had the whole like they remember everything i would have been fucking pissed like that's a pokemon <laughs> the first movie ending for me and i am like no no no, no. yeah no no <laughs> we don't erase everyone's memory <laughs> don't tell me i just wasted 95 minutes <laughs> <laughs> but apparently doherty's reading of the ending is the happier one where it's the oh they're one. back to normal krampus is checking in on them it's more seasonally appropriate i guess yeah, and it's like, I guess it's like teaching them a lesson, like, hey, don't fuck up again, because right. you know what's going to happen. And it makes sense that why they have that pause, and they all just look in, and they mm-hmm. start to, you start to hear what happened throughout the days, because they're kind of remembering, like, oh, shit, like, that happened before, so I can't let this happen again. So yep. we got to remain a fake, happy family to keep the spirit, the spirit <laughs> alive, you know? But then yeah. I also like it the evil way. Like, I like the fact that they have to spend eternally, eternity doing the same thing over and over again because they mm-hmm. fucked up the first time. Yes, because they took each other for granted. Yeah, mm-hmm. I much so prefer good. the purgatory ending. Yeah. But, you know, listeners, let us know. What, which reading of the ending do you subscribe to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, darker or lighter. But then we get the great cut to credits, and then we get Douglas Pipes' Krampus Carol of the Bells, which is super fucking fun. <laughs> Good old advent credits, too. That's I love Carol of the Bells, though, and we have this fucking, mm-hmm. like, pagan, like, Krampus, like, going in with it. <laughs> oh, God. It's so good. Traces off his I was about to play it for you guys, but I'll refrain. Uh, yeah, I'll just play it <laughs> manually. Krampus, but it's Carol with a K. Krampus Carol of the Bells. Oh, cute. Okay. Anyway. I like that. So, final thoughts on Krampus, y'all. Nope, I got a game. Oh, fuck. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yay. Okay, like so me. it's not so much a game as I would love to hear your opinion. So, as people who have really enjoyed these two seasonal entries from Mike Doherty, mm-hmm. say he was going to make a trilogy. What would the other holiday be that you would like him to tackle? I have an answer, but Bobby, I'll let you go unless you want me to go first. Ooh, I have to. I want to see like an Easter. (gasps) Okay. Okay. Or maybe a St. Patty's, but we have Leprechaun and stuff like that. We don't have enough like Easter or maybe even like Thanksgiving, but I want to go with the, the Easter route. Yeah, like Easter feels like an untapped potential Especially considering the religious connotations. Someone didn't go mm-hmm. watch Holidays, the anthology film, where there's an evil Easter bunny, but sure. Yeah, it's one segment of yeah, many. Yeah. I'm talking about a whole fucking film. <laughs> a whole fucking movie. <laughs> Anthologists suck, let's move on. I'll piggyback on that, though. No. So my thing was, okay, I want Thanksgiving because we don't have a thanks- like a really good Thanksgiving horror film. I know we have fucking Eli Ross segment in Grindhouse, and we have mm. Blood Rage, which is a Thanksgiving horror film. But- and I just tweeted that yesterday. I was like, I want it. Like, I want a real, like, yeah. Thanksgiving horror movie. Yeah. But here's the thing. So you said, oh, St. Patrick's Day, but we have Leprechaun. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind a Leprechaun remake. But, like, a serious one? Yeah. Like, directed by... Or, or like, even, like, a horror comedy in the same vein as Krampus Mm -hmm. and Trick or Treat, but, like, done by Doherty. I feel like he could make a really fun Leprechaun movie. Okay. I agree. I think his take on some kind of evil Easter bunny would be amazing, but I also think his take on a comedic Leprechaun, but not quite as comedic as the Leprechaun films have been, would be good. Yeah. For sure. I just feel like people would try to compare it to the you know og leprechaun just because though yeah for sure 
But the benefit of those movies is that none of them are actually good. So, Ooh. hold up. Leprechaun 3 is amazing. No, I, I know. I was going to say, you were going to get hate mail for Leprechaun that. 3 is the best of that yes. franchise. And I will 100% agree with you. Is that the Vegas one? Yes. Yeah. None of mm. them are good, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe, you're up. Um. Okay, so... I'm kind of inclined to agree with both of you. My original inclination was St. Patrick's Day as well. But since you've covered on both of those, I would like to see if he could pull something out of New Year's. Because mm, okay. I do feel like that's the other untapped one. I don't love our New Year's horror offerings. And I think it'd be fun to see if we could make something iconic, like an iconic yeah. villain out of New Year's. I like that. Yeah. Like I've seen an attempt with um, Midnight Kiss. Mm-hmm. Fall mm-hmm. into the dark, which I enjoy aspects of it, but mm-hmm. that's another conversation. <laughs> but they are coming out with a new horror film that's supposed to come out this year, I think, or next year. Oh, hmm. Do you know the name? Yeah. Um, I think it's something with time. I forgot. I just know the time title is in it. <laughs> We're also forgetting that there is New Year's Evil and there's oh, also Terror yeah. Train, which is a New Year's Eve movie. Yeah, True. I just think I think something supernatural as opposed to slasher. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, before we announce what we're covering next week, um, Bobby, where can people find you on well, the internet? <laughs> yeah, because normally people are like, oh, I'll just plug my Twitter, but in your case, you've actually got multiple social media. Booby likes it spooky. To. No. <laughs> so rude. I love that's it. That's exactly what it is. Thank you, Trace. Uh, you can find me at Booby likes it spooky on YouTube. <laughs> Um, <laughs> nah. Why are all these MILF videos popping up? <laughs> <laughs> um, nah, you can find me Bobby Torres with a Z, uh, not an S on Twitter. Um, I recently changed my YouTube to Bobby Likes a Spooky just because I want to do something more horror related with my yes. YouTube channel. Yes, fantastic. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, yeah. but yeah, I have Bobby Torres on Twitter, um, also on Instagram, and Bobby Likes a Spooky on YouTube. Cool. Awesome. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers and join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, but Apple Podcasts is always our favorite. And if you want even more Horror Queers content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. We'll, of course, be doing our best and worst horror films of the year for December. We'll have episodes on Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor and Christopher Landon's Freaky. And we'll have an audio commentary on Dial Code Santa Claus, a.k.a. the R-rated Home Alone that came out before Home Alone that is currently streaming on Shudder. Mm-hmm. Joe? Yes? We're covering something unusual next week. What is it? Yeah, so we are keeping it slightly seasonal, but this is more a film that was released during the holiday season and then totally tanked all the way back in 1993. Yes, folks, we are doing a Batman movie, but not the Batman that you thought. We're going to be talking about Batman Mask of the Phantasm. I'm really excited for this because I've never seen it. It's really fucking good i've only heard amazing things joe so i'll be in your position where it's like you're coming in a movie like hearing it's great and like you don't like it so like yeah probably that's gonna be me but it's okay <laughs> i'm really excited and we have a really 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 fun guest on that too yeah bobby thank you so much for coming on to this <laughs> no thank you guys for inviting me i had a lot of fun especially to talk about a movie like this i love it yes yeah. uh well everyone thank you all for listening and on that note we can cross out krampus Yes, and cross out horror queers. Horror queers.
made it to the end of another bloody disgusting podcast congratulations if you like our programming consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts such as creepy horror queers the boo crew scp archives nightlight margaret's garden nightmare on film street and more <laughs>